So welcome to New Life Church, if you're here for the first time, and um, we hope that you have been blessed by this sermon series. If you've been listening over the last um, couple of months now in the book of Philippians, but Philippians chapter 2, that's where we are this morning. Um, if you remember the beginning of the chapter, we saw the wonderful description of the glorification of Jesus. Um, remember, this passage was described as the Mount Everest among the mountain peaks of revelation concerning the person of Jesus Christ. There was rich theological uh, description there of who Jesus was, what he has done, and what he has accomplished. And Paul used this theological foundation, and Paul has encouraged the believers using this theology to, to strive for spiritual unity based on the example of Paul, Paul, sorry, based on the example of Jesus' humility. And last week we saw uh, Paul arguing um, and urging believers to live as lights in the world with Jesus as their, as their example. So our passage today, in comparison to last week, may seem to have really nothing in common with all the theology that we've been um, learning about. On the surface, the passage seems to come from two different authors or two different letters. Our passage today is really a, a missions report. Um, Paul gives a report on his visit, or of his stay rather, in Rome, and he talks about who would, who's going to visit the Philippians and when they would visit them. It seems very different from the, from the teachings that Paul has been teaching us already, but in fact, this is one letter, it is from the same author, and Paul writes this section of the letter not only to uh, talk about logistics, about Timothy's visit and Epaphroditus' visit, but also to give us tangible examples of Christ-like servanthood. And this theme is the same emphasis, and it's the same connect from the, the previous passages that we've been learning about. And thank the Lord for examples that we can learn from, not just not just theology in our head, but people that we can learn from uh, practically. And today in our passage, Paul writes about Timothy and he writes about Epaphroditus, two men who followed the example of Christ and are really worthy of our imitation. So if you would stand with me this morning, we're going to read from Philippians chapter 2, from verse 19 to verse 30. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 to verse 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. 
So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Well, let's pray together. Lord, please, we ask for your help this morning. We pray for understanding. We ask for your spirit, Lord, to open our eyes and open our ears and open our minds to the word that is read for us. We pray, Lord, that the spirit would help us to apply, that this wouldn't just be another um, class of knowledge, but, Lord, that we these words would just drop down from our head into our hearts and that you would help us to to respond in a way that would bring honor and glory to your name. So please, Lord, I pray for your help as I, as I teach this passage. I pray, Lord, that you would use my, my lips and use the words, Lord, to bring glory to your name today. We pray for wisdom, Lord, and understanding. And we pray that the Spirit, Lord, would have full authority over us here this morning. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Last year, Kerry and I flew to Louisville in the U.S. to attend the preview day of the, the Boys College, where we hope Ezra will be attending next year. And we listened to one of the professors speak on the purpose of attending college. And he said to all the pros prospective students who are there, as well as the parents, he said, your professors will influence and they will shape you, so you need to ask yourself, are my professors people who I want to be like? I thought that was a great question to ask, because I think it's true. We, we often become like the people that, that we are around, like the people that we associate with. And even if we don't know them personally, we'll often model ourselves after people that we admire. President Calvin Coolidge was the 50th president of the United States from 1923 to 1929. And while he was in office, he invited some people from his hometown to dinner at the White House. And since they did not know how to behave at such an occasion, they thought the best policy would be just to do what the president did. And the time came for serving coffee, and the president poured coffee into his saucer. And as soon as the home folks saw it, they, they did the same. And the next step for the president was to pour some milk and add a little sugar to the coffee in the in the saucer, and the home people copied him, and they did the same, and they thought for sure that the next step would be for the president to take the saucer with the coffee and begin sipping it, but the president didn't do so. He leaned over and placed the saucer on the floor, and he called the cat, and we all imitate somebody, don't we? And the question is, who are we imitating? Who are we mimicking? And are those the people that we should be mimicking? And the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church and to us today to encourage us in our faith. And compared to the other churches, the church at Philippi we know were healthy. And even so, Paul did not want them to give up on their progress in their walk with the Lord. He wanted them to push forward and he wanted them to continue to grow and to mature in the faith. And in today's passage, he exhorts them to do this by imitation, by imitation. So my first point this morning is in verse 19 to verse 20, and the title, well, the, the, the first point is imitate those who serve others. Imitate those who serve others. 
And the first example of a worthy Christian that Paul sets before us is that of Timothy. And Paul, he draws our attention to two major qualities of those who serve others that we should be imitating. And first, those who serve others have a caring heart. And Paul was, remember, he was under house arrest in Rome. He was awaiting the outcome of his appeal uh, to Caesar. And he could receive visitors, but he was not free to, to leave his house. And look there in verse 19, he wrote, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So here we introduce to Timothy. Timothy, he was a, a young pastor. Um, Paul personally trained him. Paul personally discipled Timothy. He, he mentored him to be a faithful minister of the gospel. And Paul was going to send Timothy to Philippi so that he would receive news about the Philippian Christians and how they were, were doing. And in verse 19, Paul is saying, I want Timothy to come to you. I want to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by the news of you. And Paul wants to know how the Philippians are doing. He loves them dearly. He cares for them. And this isn't the first time that he has said this back in Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 27. He says to them, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's talking to the Philippian church here. Yeah? So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you and that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And the reason Paul was sending Timothy to Philippi is because Timothy had a caring heart. Timothy had a caring heart. Look what Paul wrote in verses 20 there in verse 21 in chapter 2. For I have no one like him, Paul says about Timothy. No one who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And then he says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So Timothy really cared about the welfare of God's people. Unlike some others that we see here who were seeking their, their own interests. And I don't know exactly what Paul means when he says they were seeking their own interests. Um, I think this comment maybe tells a bit of a, a story, a bit of a sad story. Paul must have searched among his acquaintances there in Rome. Remember, he's in Rome. There, were other, there was the church in Rome that was already there. And he must have asked for somebody to go to Philippi. And he must have asked a number of people to do this. But evidently, all of them turned Timothy down. Not because they couldn't do it. I'm sure Paul would not have asked them if they had not been able to, but that's not the case. You can see something of the reflection here in, in Paul's heart. They turned him down because they were only interested in their own concerns, in their own interests. That's what the scriptures say. They all had perfectly good excuses, I'm sure, why, why no one could undertake the journey from, from Rome to, to Philippi. And the only one whose business was Christ's business was Timothy. And you can imagine what an encouragement he must have been to the apostle's heart as he was longing to send someone to the Philippians to help them with their problems and everyone turns him down simply because of their own selfish concerns. But Timothy says, all right, Paul, I'm ready to go anytime. I'm ready to go any place. I'm ready to go anywhere. 
This was the, the selflessness of this man, Timothy. And no wonder he was always a channel of power wherever he went. Wherever we, we read about Timothy, is he went ready to be an instrument of God's grace to different people. But let me show you how this is connected to the, to the theology that we've already learned about in the previous passages. Go back to verse 4 in chapter 2. Paul says there, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So this is on Paul's mind, okay, when he's talking about Timothy here. And then look what Paul says in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, what mind? The mind that Christ has, where he gave up his life for others, where he served others, where he did not have his own interests at heart. And Paul adds this section here about Timothy and about Epaphroditus to give us tangible examples of Christ-like servanthood. This is not just something random in this passage. This is very intentional to help us see examples of what Paul is teaching us about Christ-like servanthood. And here Paul is saying Timothy's selflessness looks like Jesus Christ. Jesus, though he was equal with God, he didn't count that a thing to be grasped, a thing to be clung to. Rather, he was willing to empty himself of his rights, of his privileges, of his glory, for the sake of others, for the sake of others, to pursue the interests of others, including you, including me. Jesus emptied himself. Jesus became a servant, and he humbled himself in a servanthood and obedience we know unto death, even death on a cross. And that's the mindset that, that Timothy has here. And Paul says, I have no one like him who is following in the footsteps of Christ Jesus himself. This is a sad statement, I think. It's a sobering statement, even, even for me to read this. I mean, how often do we find ourselves guilty of not being interested in other people? How often do we find ourselves seeking our own interests rather than the interests of, of others, rather than those of Jesus Christ and the people of God? And I think being selfish really strikes at the very heart at every single one of us. Maybe you're not convinced. Maybe you say, I'm not selfish. Well, I want you to think about, for a moment, your marriage, okay? Here's an excerpt I read from an article recently titled, Marriage Isn't Meant to Meet Your Needs. And here the author says, It is a short step from loving you to loving me and wanting you. And it's too easy for Christians to think of marriage as a discipleship-free zone. Outside of marriage, we love to talk about sacrifice, taking up our cross, and so on. But inside marriage, we often talk about how to communicate better, how to be more intimate, how to have better sex, how to be happy. If a marriage isn't serving God, no amount of personal and sexual fulfillment will make it right. After all, so far as we can see, Ananias and Sapphira had a marriage with excellent communication and shared values. Remember who they were? 
Each understood the other perfectly, yet they suffered terrible deaths under the righteous judgment of God. Inward-looking marriage isn't real love because it encourages us to view sex and marriage selfishly. Any love that merely gazes adoringly into the eyes of another who adores us isn't really love at all. Marriage and family can easily become a respectable form of selfishness. If we marry mainly to meet our own needs, then our marriages will be just that, good-looking masks for selfishness. So I wonder what other respectable forms of selfishness are we guilty of? What other respectable forms of selfishness are we guilty of? And may God help us to have a caring heart for others. You know, Jesus did. And if we are to follow Christ, we need to have a caring heart for others as well. Can you think of a decision that you have made in a time when you thought, well, you know, this would be good for me personally, but I'm not sure it would be good for the church as a whole. And therefore, I'm not going to do it. Have you thought of a, a time like that? Can you think of a time where you, where you ever maybe even changed your mind about anything for the sake of other people? It may be as simple as whether you, you're going on vacation during some important time in the life of the church and you decide, you know, it's more important for me to be here at church than it is for, for me to enjoy myself and to, to go on, on holiday. Have you ever thought that way? Thinking about others rather than about yourself. And Paul is commending Timothy here to us as a, as a person who did think like that. He thought not just, would this be good for me? But he thought, is this going to be good for the interests of the, the church? And Paul is commending that to us in the Christian life. And at the end of Paul's commendation of, of Timothy, he draws our attention to this, to his excellent character in verses 22 and verse 24. Look what Paul wrote to the Philippians in verse 22. He says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the father he has served with me in the gospel. Over the course of time, Timothy had proven himself faithful in his service to Christ and to the people of God. And Paul viewed Timothy with great affection as a, as a father who viewed his, his son. And he commented that Timothy had served with Paul in the advancement of the gospel. Others had come, others had gone. But Timothy's character was proven by his, his faithful service in advancing the gospel. And so Paul says, look at verse 23. I therefore, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul was hoping to send Timothy soon. And Paul himself was hoping to come to the Philippines, to visit the Philippines as soon as this, this legal case was, was resolved. But Timothy was a pastor with an excellent character. He had devoted himself to the service of others and to the advancement of the, the gospel itself. In the words of Paul, he had proven worth. He had proven worth. And we are commended, Timothy is commended to us as someone that we should imitate. If we are to grow in Christ-likeness, we are to imitate 
worthy examples, a worthy Christian, and Timothy is one of those. We are to cultivate a servant's heart centered on serving others for the advancement of the gospel, putting others ahead of ourselves for the sake of the gospel. I'll do more about that in a moment. But my second point, in verse 25 to verse 28, we are to imitate those who suffer hardship. We are to imitate those who suffer hardship. The second example of a, of a worthy Christian that Paul sets before us is that of Epaphroditus. We know not a lot about Epaphroditus. He was, he was not a pastor. He was not an elder. He was not even a deacon of any church. He was a member. He was a faithful member of the Philippian church. Epaphroditus was a, a faithful servant who was focused on the, the things of Christ. He had pushed himself almost to the point of death, we know, we read about here, to bring a gift to Paul from the Philippian church. Maybe he grew ill on his journey. Remember, it wasn't a short journey. It was over a six-week journey that he had to take to get to Philippi. He had perhaps pu pushed himself beyond his limits in an effort to get to the apostles' side. Or perhaps after he arrived, he had contracted some illness. But he kept pushing himself in his service to Paul in the cause of the gospel. He had a longing concern for the church back in Philippi. We read about his concern for them. He, he's concerned that they are concerned about him. He's, he's worried. And we see the servant heart that he has for the people of God, that they care for him, that he cares for. And Paul calls Epaphroditus a minister to my need. And he states that he had completed by his presence what the Philippians could not do in their absence in their servant's service to Paul. And Paul is not criticizing the Philippian church here. He's simply pointing out that loving someone long distance is very different to loving someone close up. And the whole church couldn't come to see Paul, but one man could, and they sent Epaphroditus. And the church at Philippi sent one of their own, their very best, to, to give this money to help pay for his rent while he was under house arrest, but also to serve him, to serve his needs, to keep him company in a very lonely time. And this service came at a, at a very high personal cost to Epaphroditus. We hear that he became sick to the, to the point of, of death. It must have cost him his, his energy, his health, probably his money and his time, no doubt. In Romans 12, verse 1, Paul says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I'm sure Epaphroditus must have read that or heard that. But try and imagine the things that he must have sacrificed, that he must have given to God to, to help Paul, to serve Paul in the situation that he finds himself. Think of how much time it would have taken for him to travel. This was a journey, I said, of of six weeks, between 700 to 1,200 miles, depending on the, the route that you took. Think of the financial cost. I'm sure his, his boss wouldn't give him leave for six weeks. He probably lost his job in order to go and serve the Apostle Paul. This also cost the church financially because they were giving money sacrificially in order to give to Paul to help him 
stay where he was staying in his imprisonment. Think of the cost to his health and his energy. He could have been, um, con- he could have been sick with, with any types of diseases around at that time, perhaps typhoid, typhoid fever or, or malaria, very common during that time. But look at verse 25 again. There are a few things here that Paul calls Epaphroditus. He says, number one, he is my brother. He says, number two, he is my fellow worker. And then he says, number three, he is a fellow soldier. A fellow soldier. I think Paul uses a military image here describing Epaphroditus as a, as a fellow soldier intentionally. I think this image is, is helpful. This image really gets at the nature of what gospel ministry is. Gospel ministry is warfare. It is spiritual warfare. It's put your life at a great personal risk. But Epaphroditus has faithfully executed that charge that, that he has been given. He was a faithful soldier. At the end of verse 25, Paul tells us what Epaphroditus has actually been doing. He says that Epaphroditus is your messenger, talking to the Philippian church here. He's your messenger. You sent him to me. You sent him to minister to my needs. And in the context of the Philippians, we know that the, the Philippians had given Paul a financial gift, but it seems they've also given Paul a, a human gift here, a human resource, somebody who would come alongside Paul and help him and encourage him, encourage him in his difficult state that he finds himself under house arrest. Now, Paul couldn't leave the house. He couldn't run errands. Paul couldn't deliver messages. He couldn't fetch things for himself. But Epaphroditus would do that in his stead. And it didn't matter what it was, whether it was too big or too small, Epaphroditus was willing to serve. We read in verse 26 that he has been longing for you all. He's been longing for the Philippian church. And he has been distressed because he heard, you heard that he was ill. And then in verse 27, Paul says, indeed, he was ill near to death. And then he repeats that in verse 30. He says he nearly died. So Epaphroditus risked his life. He was willing to lay down his life to serve Paul for the sake of the gospel, for the advancement of the gospel. Now, again, there's a, there's a reason that we have this tangible Christ-like example here. Um, remember, this is close to the to the, sh- to the shadow of the Christ hymn that we, that we read about earlier in, in chapter 2. And there's a reason that we have these examples so close by. Let me show you the connection here that I think Paul is wanting us to see. Go back to chapter 2. Look at verse 6. Remember Paul said, Who? Jesus is talking about. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. So here we have Jesus who was obedient to the point of death. And now we see Epaphroditus, who, to the point of death, literally was willing to lay his life down for the sake 
of serving Paul for the advancement of the gospel. I read um, John MacArthur's sermon from the same passage last night. I like, I like to do that. I like to read other faithful pastors' messages after I've finished my, my own to make sure that, that I'm on the right track. And this is what um, John MacArthur said at the conclusion of his message. He said, somebody said to me yesterday, my husband has another hobby, just what he needs, another diversion. Nothing wrong with that in itself, but how's your focus on Christ? And then in the case of Epaphroditus, what are you risking your life for? What are you laying your life down for? What are you laying down that only the promise of Christ and the power of Christ can pick back up? And then he goes on to say, you know, we really don't like risk, do we? First thing, we get saved. That eliminates eternal risk. Heaven for sure, no risk. Then we back into life and we've got to eliminate all the risk in life. No risk. Insulated, isolated, comfortable, get all the money we need, get the burglar alarm working, get the fence, get the gate, get our life closed in, no risk, giving away absolutely nothing. That's why I say I've always been enamored with sacrificial people. And every time I look for them, I have to look outside our culture or outside our period of history. We have so few, and the Lord's convicted my own heart, and I trust yours as well, to think about how to be an Epaphroditus and give myself away for a cause other than my own interest. Strong words, powerful words. Talk more about that also in a moment. But let me share my last point, point number three. We are to imitate those who love the gospel. We are to imitate those who love his mission. Who love his mission. We see that in 29 and verse 30. With all the updates and all the personal commendations that we see here in our passage, it might be easy for us to forget the most basic point behind all of these comings and all of his goings. There's a mission going on here, okay? There's a mission trip for the sake of the gospel. And that's why Paul is in prison. That's why he's, he's awaiting trial. For the sake of the mission, Timothy had to stay with Paul for the time being. But he will return to Philippi as soon as possible to continue to minister to this church. And his concern for their welfare, for their welfare is, is part of seeking the interests of Jesus Christ in the lives of these Philippians. We see sacrifice here. We see concern. We see people willing to go out of their comfort zone. We see people serving here. We see people risking here. What for? All for the sake of Christ. All for the sake of His mission to make disciples of all peoples, of all nations. We shouldn't read this passage without remembering the gospel priority. The gospel priority. And that's why the Philippians sent support to Paul through Epaphroditus. Verse 30 says it. It was the work of Christ for which Epaphroditus was risking his life. And Epaphroditus, who was ill and nevertheless risked his life for Paul's sake and for the sake of the Philippian church, 
because he thought that his life was of less value than the work of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying, I give you a man who is ready to die for the sake of the gospel, for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Because he understood that when you seek first the kingdom of God, then God will add all things to you. I think another gospel connection here, another way we can stimulate our love for Christ and his mission is to honor those who serve Christ sacrificially. And we see that in our passage. Look at verse 29. Paul says, so receive him. He's talking to the Philippian church here. Receive him, receive Epaphroditus in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Honor such men as Epaphroditus, he's saying. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. It seems that Paul was concerned that when Epaphroditus arrived back in Philippi, the, the Philippian Christians would not really acknowledge his service and wouldn't thank him for what he had done and the risk that he had taken for the service of Paul and to Christ and the gospel. And so to make sure that the Philippian Christians properly honor Epaphroditus, he writes them an exhortation to do this and to us today. And do you see another connection here from our, of our previous passage in, in chapter 2? Just as Jesus himself submitted to the point of death, and God, as a result, exalted him. Exalted him for what? For his service to mankind. Death on a cross. The highest conceivable place bestowing upon Jesus what? The honor of being called Lord. The name above all names. So in the same way, Paul says, Epaphroditus was faithful and he deserves honor. Exalt him, receive him with joy and bestow honor upon him. Give honor to who honor is due. Those who serve in the advancement of the gospel and especially those who, who suffer hardships in the advancement of the gospel deserve honor. And we do well to make much of these servants in our prayers. I mean, are we praying for our missionaries? We do well to make much of these servants in our, in our homes. Do our children know who our missionaries are? Do our children hear about them when we pray? What do we read about? What movies do we watch? Are we making much of missionaries who have given their lives for the, for the sake of the gospel? Or are we making much about vampires who fall in love? What is our focus? I remember a missions conference that Kerry and I attended just as we had become missionaries. And the theme of the, the conference was missionaries are our heroes. And they called the, the missionaries that this church had supported and Kerry and I were one of them. And they gave us flags and they gave us candles and there were other missionaries that were with us. And, and all of these missionaries walked down the aisle while everybody started clapping and everybody started cheering to these to these missionaries, it was <laughs> terribly overwhelming and it made us feel very, very uncomfortable. But the point was they wanted to make much of their missionaries to their children. 
They wanted the children in their church to see that the missionaries that we need to make much of are those who need to be our heroes. You know, in September, the month of September here at New Life Church, we, we dedicate that month to our Missions Emphasis Month. And we hope to bring out our missionaries that, that we support here to Abu Dhabi. And during our Missions Emphasis Month, we want to encourage them and we want to honor them. And we will get to hear from them a report of their ministry, and we will get to pray for them, we'll get to care for them, and we'll get to love on them. And I hope that you take this time and this opportunity to invite them to your home, um, maybe to stay one night, or even for a meal, or just for a cup of coffee, just to bless them and to encourage them and to pray for them in their gospel ministry. And we want to recognize those who serve in the advancement of the gospel, especially those who suffer hardships for Christ and His gospel, as we are commanded to here in the Scriptures. But let me conclude here this morning. Let me give one last corporate application, which I think is very relevant for us today. The Apostle Paul clearly valued the friendships of Timothy and Epaphroditus. He clearly needed their support, as we see. But my question to you is, how much more do you and I need each other's friendship? And how much more do you and I need each other's support? I think that a good proportion of our congregation would say that they have experienced in the life of this church family real Christian connections, real Christian friendships, real Christian companionships. I think that would be true. They would say that there are a group of people that they, they know really well and that love them and care about them and encourage them in different ways, and, and especially in times of their need, especially if you're part of a home group. You know about that care. You know about that, that love. And I've had that testimony from, from many people. But I know there are also others that are part of this fellowship who sometimes feel lonely and sometimes feel alone and sometimes who feel as if they still stand in need of Christian friends who will genuinely love them and care about them and be concerned for them and come alongside them and support them. I know there are people like that who need that. And I think it should be our, our intention as members, as covenanted members who at one point put up our hands and said, I will support the work and the worship of this church to the best of my ability. I think it should be our intention to find these people that we can come alongside that we can help, that we can support, that we can care for. I mean, do you know what one of the most important works of this church is? It is us being Jesus' family to one another. And it should be our intention that there should be, not be one member of our church who can, who can say, you know, I feel lonely and alone and unsupported as I, as I attempt to walk the walk of faith with Jesus in this sinful world. It should be the testimony of every member of this congregation that we are all investing in at least a few other members so that we are all ministered to and we are all cared for and we are all loved, seeking the interests of others. It's not about just being a taker. And we've spoken so much about that, isn't it? not just a spectator looking from the grandstand 
at what is happening on the field. Every one of us must be a participant, a giver. Every one of us needs a few people to, uh, to, to give to us in this congregation. And that's how God built us to be. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Will you start asking the question as you look around our congregation, who can I minister to? Who needs my ministry? Who needs to be befriended and helped and supported by me? Let us use the examples that we have seen today of Timothy and Epaphroditus to bring honor and glory to our Savior's name. Let us seek to mimic those who mimic Jesus. Let us imitate those who, dilent, who diligently labor for the body of Christ, who serve the body of Christ and build God's kingdom for God's glory and for our joy. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this very practical passage that you have put into this very theological portion of Scripture. And we ask that you would bring home the Word of God to our hearts this morning. But Lord, the Apostle Paul is, is holding before us today an example of what it would be like to be a servant. He's holding before us today an example of what we should be like, how we should be reflecting Jesus to the world around us. You know, Jesus was not only ready to serve us, he was not only ready to die for us, he was not only ready to take the risk, we know that he did die for us. Lord, we pray that you forgive us for being fearful, for not willing to take the risk of meeting new people, of serving people that we don't know, of going out of our comfort zone to be a blessing to others for the sake of the gospel. Forgive us, Lord, for being isolated and insulated and unwilling to, to get out of our, our bubbles, to make much of your name to those who need Christ, to those who need to be encouraged, to those who need the gospel. Forgive us, Lord, for not serving the way that we have promised that we would. Well, we ask for your forgiveness today. But we also pray, Lord, that we won't leave here today just knowing that we've enjoyed some good words, a nice motivational session, a nice psychology class. Lord, help us to understand that these words that we have read are from you. They have been inspired for our admonition, for our edification, for our training in righteousness. Help us, Lord, to be willing to see where we need to repent and where we need to conform to the image of Christ. He is the one we want to be like. So thank you for these examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus who were imitating Christ. As Paul says later on, follow me as I follow Christ. Thank you for people who do follow Christ, who've gone before us, that we can mimic. Lord, we do pray that you would 
Help us to be intentional this week. Intentional about who we make much of in our homes, in front of our children, in our workplace, amongst our colleagues, that we would be mindful of reflecting Christ to a world around us who is dying in their sins. Help us to be more like Timothy, Lord. Help us to be more like Epaphroditus, Lord. Help us to be more like Paul. But above all of that, Lord, help us to be more like your son, Jesus. We ask and pray in Jesus' name.